0: Good morning and greetings to each of you in Jesus' name this morning. We are, I guess, going to embark on part two of Roles in the Church this morning. You can open your songbooks back up to 9.03. Thank you, Trevin, for leading that song. I didn't ask him to lead that song, but I saw something in that song that... I thought was ideal for laying the groundwork for the message this morning. The title of the message is, O oh Master, Let Me Walk With Thee. Second line, Help me the slow of heart to move. And that, of course, is not you. That's somebody else, right? Who are the slow of heart? I was thinking about that and I thought, you know, I'm probably slow of heart. I'm pretty slow to change the way that I think about things. There are people that are slow of heart, people that are slow to commit, people that are slow to go in the direction that they ought to go. I think that's what this is talking about. Help me the slow of heart to move. How? By some clear winning word of love. It's not going to be by pushing them or forcing them or hitting them over the head. By some clear winning word of love. Teach me the wayward feet to stay and guide them in the homeward way. Teach me thy patience still with thee. In closer, dear company. In work that keeps faith sweet and strong. In trust that triumphs over wrong. Do you trust that the way of God triumphs over wrong? God has given roles into the body that he wants us to fulfill in faith. Working in faith, trusting that fulfilling our roles will triumph over wrong. So, the things that I'm talking about this morning, I'm not talking about from the perspective of the fact that we do these things because we have to, but rather because we do these things because we do them when faith, believing, that the best way of life is God's way. And when I, as an individual part of the body of Jesus Christ, fulfill my role, that that is the way for us to triumph over all. And we do, we are different parts of the body. We have different functions. As we looked at this thing of roles in the church, last time we looked at the body as, as a whole and how that the individual members make up that part of the body and how the, <clears throat> I turned my drawing back here and was gonna have it up here this morning and I forgot to do that. Anyway, but um, how the ind- individual body parts are linked together with the body, the, the major body functions, the major, major body systems and then they work together, they are coordinated together to build up, to strengthen, to renew, to replenish the body. It's a living organism. The church is to be a living organism that is constantly renewing itself and constantly growing and fulfilling what the body, what the head tells the body to do. And after we looked at that, we looked at the relationship between leadership and the membership in the church and the model that Jesus gave of a shepherd-sheep relationship. And I use the parallel um, with the physical body that the, the biblical model is for the church to draw leadership from close to the heart of Christ, the meek and lowly servant heart of Christ. And that that is what is to lead the church, people who are close to that heart, And I told you when I talked about that, that there were other areas within the church where this applies. And so the message this morning is actually a lot about leadership as well. And it has to do with that principle that I talked about there from the song of help me the slow of heart to move. How are you going to move people's hearts? And all of us, every one of you here in this body this morning has a role to move the hearts of people towards God. And that is leadership. But God has placed each of you here with a different role to bring that about to happen, to make that happen. I ask you for permission last time to say things as they are. And uh, I guess you gave me permission to to do that because I went ahead and did it. And I'm going to do some more of that today.
1: You know, we have an
0: environment, we've created an environment here in America where there are a lot of church options. And not just, you know, out there not just the big denominational differences there's also within denominations there's a lot of differences within the mennonite church there's a lot of of differences of of church options that we have but it's been my observation and i just give you this for your thought process it's my observation that instead of that helping us to to better fulfill god's word It has actually torn down some of the very basic root realities of the Christian life that have affected us in ways that we don't think about on the surface. And two of those are, and and because they've torn down those basic things, they've also torn down areas of Christian development that are very vital to the growth of the church and moving from church to church is very damaging to Christian development. And I'm saying that I'm not saying that critically I've moved from I've moved from one church to another, I'm just trying to present to you a principle that there are aspects of Christian development that are important to be worked out and lived out in the body where you find yourself. And if you do not, if you do not recognize when, when you face a problem, when you face a difficulty, if you do not recognize the need within yourself to grow in relation to the problem, you will probably not develop, you will not develop as a Christian the way that you should. In other words, when there's problems in my life, I need to deal with those problems. If my answer is to move to another church that's more convenient, then that's not the right answer. Now there may be reasons why someone would move to another church that are reasons based on the word of God or reasons based on reaching into a community and following God's call in your life. But my point is that creating a whole bunch of different options in which we can just bump, 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 bump along with our problems and go from one church to another church with the same problems. Isn't helping us to get to the answers of the deeper developmental needs of our Christian experience. Another thing that I want to talk about, because I'm going to be talking about leadership in a, in, a, in a lot of ways this morning, in different ways. Another thing that I want to bring to your attention is the reality of Christian leadership. Like I said before, and I already said it this morning, Christian leadership is not a pushing, shoving, driving force, it's a calling, drawing force. And so Christian leadership can be understood in this way. The level to which I am able to recommend something and it be followed is the level to which I actually have leadership from a kingdom perspective. In other words, if I'm in a leadership position or if I'm leading someone and I'm able to make a recommendation to that, to them, and, or I need to make a recommendation to them, and they, the level of willingness that they have to apply that in their lives in some way, maybe not exactly like I do it, but in some way apply that to their lives is the level to which I have leadership in that person's life. Does that make sense? If I, In other words, if I have to lay down the law and that's the only way that I can get people who I'm supposed to be leading to follow me, then I have zero Christian leadership. Christ's leadership does not work that way. It does draw lines. It says that you either choose to follow me or you choose not to follow me. That will have its consequence. So it does draw a line but Christ calls people to follow him voluntarily and to choose to follow what he he lays out as what is right living. And, And we decide if we're going to do that or not. And then that's what makes us his disciple. And that's the model that he gave. Well, Paul uses another type of illustration in reference to the church and relationships within the church besides just the shepherd-sheep model. I'm going to begin reading in Ephesians 2, verse 18. For through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. Now therefore we are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. And what I wanted you to catch in that passage was the household of God, the family of God. Paul's using a family here as a type of what... The Christian relationship is with one another and with God. Galatians 6.10 As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. So again, the idea of a household, a family, a family of people. The word household in Greek means his own house. So the own house of God. And often think about I remember, I guess it was probably because of where I was living when this idea of the family of God really became real in my life. But I had this picture of the house where I lived and that God was in the house and I had opened up the door and walked in. And now it was his household. And that was such a solid safe feeling to think about that I was in God's house. That's the kind of of household family we're talking about. In a household, you have fathers, mothers, and children. And each of these has a proper way of relating and responsibility to the others within the household. Now, when we think about children, we think about those who are young. And we often think about physically young. But in the family of God, it often also means spiritually young. Because we don't all come to God at the same time, in the same same physical time. And we enter in as babies. Except you be born again, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. And And someone who is born is an infant. Except you become as little children, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. We have to become young. And from that, grow. Paul often presented himself as a father to the churches and to individuals that he was writing to. He calls Timothy a son. And he directs Timothy in 1 Timothy 5 to relate as a family to those in his church. 1 Timothy 5.1 Rebuke not an elder, but entreat him as a father the younger men as brethren and the elder women as mothers, the younger as sisters with all purity. So Paul's directing Timothy to relate to the other people within his household or within the church as if they were part of his family. The older men as if they were fathers. The younger men as if they were brothers. Timothy was a younger, probably, probably my age. I don't know, maybe younger. The younger men as brothers, the older women as mothers, younger women as sisters, and to do that in a way that was pure. And I begin here talking about this because I want to lay a foundation for us thinking about these different roles from two perspectives. Number one, we are part of a household, and a household doesn't operate as a bunch of independent individuals that can do whatever they want to do. It just doesn't work. And so we have to, if we're going to be a household, there are patterns that we're going to have to establish simply to have good function. But the other thing has to do with the independent part. The roles of each is there to develop the whole. We are not independent as Christian people. We are part of the body. We are part of the household. That means we are interdependent on others. And the gifts, the strengths that we are given are given to build up the whole. Children come into a family to build up the family name. So they have a role to play. Fathers and mothers have a role to play in guiding the children to a proper representation of the family. So I wanted that to be our foundation that we're talking about these roles interdependently and from a perspective of them developing the body as a whole. You can turn to 1 Timothy chapter 2. I'm going to start reading in 1 Timothy 2 at verse 3. The context here is prayer. And it's prayer for all men, including government leaders. But the prayer for all men is the general context here. <clears throat> Begin get ready to get verse 3. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, men, the man, Christ Jesus who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time, whereunto I am ordained a preacher and an apostle. Apostle, I speak the truth in Christ and lie not, a teacher of the Gentiles, in faith and verity. Okay, I'm going to stop there for a moment. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. This prayer for all men is good and acceptable in God's sight. Who will have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth? Right there is God's heart. He wants all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. He wants us to pray for all men and for all who are in authority that this, His will, His heart can be realized. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. And it is through Christ Jesus that this is realized. Who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. That is the example. He's the mediator and he gave himself so that we could be ransomed. That's the example. Now jumping to verse 8. I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. In like manner also that the women adorn themselves in modest apparel with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broided hair or gold or pearls or costly array, but which becometh women professing godliness with good works. Let the women learn in silence with all subjection. But I suffer not a woman to teach or to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. For Adam was first formed, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression, notwithstanding, she shall be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith and charity and holiness with sobriety. So I'm going to look first in general at men. Um, First verse here. So he's given the example, he's given God's heart, he's given the example of the... Sacrifice of Christ, and he says, I will therefore, or because of this, I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. And so there's something about this representation of the heart of God and the sacrifice of Christ that we should look at and say that that has something to do with how men should pray. And that they should lift up holy hands without wrath and doubting. So what is prayer? Well, prayer is a recognition and an expression of need. It's an expression that I am reaching out beyond myself for something farther out there. So people pray to many things in the world, in their lives. People pray to other gods. What are they reaching for? They're they're expressing that they have a need and they're desiring for help from that God. But we know that there is one God and one mediator between God and me and the man Jesus Christ. And so our prayer is a prayer of beseeching to one God for Him to come and meet our need and help us with what we cannot do. So what's this thing of lifting up holy hands? So I don't know exactly what the idea of lifting up hands is. But I think it's something about like this. Because lifting up holy hands has, or lifting up your hands has a representation. There's a representation in lifting up your hands. And the reason why the hands are open, there's two reasons why the hands are open. One reason is because you've released control. Hands are what we hold on to things with. And when you open up your hands, you release control. This is also the symbol of receiving. So it's both the, the symbol of letting go of control and receiving. So when men everywhere lift up holy hands, they let go of control. and they ask God, and they believe that they will receive from Him. I will everywhere, I will that men everywhere pray, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. What are holy hands? Holy hands are hands that are free from sin. They're hands that have been separated and consecrated to God. Holiness is not, it's freedom from sin, but it's more than that. It's being set apart for the use of God. So these hands, men, are these hands, are these hands that you have, have they been set apart for the use of God? Because that's what God wants you to do. He wants you to pray, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. What is wrath? Oh, sorry. I was going to read along with that. I was going to read something from Psalm 24. Psalm 24, 3 to 6. Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Or who shall stand in his holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul to vanity, nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive the blessing of the Lord and righteousness from God, the God of His salvation. This is the generation of them that seek Him, that seek the face, uh, that seek thy face, O Jacob, Selah. Who shall ascend to God? Whose prayers will go up to Him? Who will, what prayers will go to His throne? They do the prayers of those who lift up holy hands to Him. Wrath is about my control. I get angry when things don't go my way. Without wrath. Without using, trying to use the force of anger to get what I want. Doubting is questioning God's control. When we doubt, we're essentially saying that God is not big enough to fulfill this need. God is not big enough to do this. God's not big enough to meet my need. We are to be men of worship. Men who have a calm confidence that God is directing my life. Okay, now let's turn to Titus 2. And I'm going to begin reading at verse 1. We're going to read through verse 8. But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine, that the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, in charity, in patience. The aged women likewise, that they be in behaviors, becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. Young men likewise exhort to be sober-minded, in all things showing thyself a pattern of good works, and doctrine showing uncorruptness, gravity, and sincerity, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say of you. Older men. Who are older men? So, I'm an older man. Probably. This should be talking about me. It should be talking about people older than me. This is talking about men who are middle-aged and older. Older men. Older men are fathers. Fathers are teachers. Fathers are to be teachers. Fathers are to be leaders. Leaders take the way first. That's the role of what a leader ought to do. It's also the idea of a shepherd. A shepherd takes the way first, and the sheep follow him. Ephesians 6 4. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. The underlying principle here is that first you know the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And then you bring others up in that nurture and admonition. So you can't bring someone up if you don't know the way to go first. Bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. 2 Timothy 2, 2. The things which thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. The mechanism for the Christian church to move forward is faithful men teaching. That's the mechanism that the Bible has given us for the church to move forward. Faithful men teaching other faithful men. And teachers must, teachers and leaders must live and speak the same thing. We cannot pass on faith if our faith is not genuine throughout our being, which means both the heart and what we do. And so what I say and what I do and what I believe all need to be the same thing. And so here in verse 2 of Titus 2, it tells us what the aged men should be. They should be sober grave, temperate, sound in faith, and charity, in patience. And I looked at each one of these words and looked at the Greek word and I'm just going to give you some general ideas about what these words mean. Sober means circumspect or to live correctly. So that's what I was just saying. The older men are to be are to live out their lives correctly. The things that they do need to be right things. They should be grave, and that means honorable in this we would use grave in a different in a, in a different manner the greek here means honorable and honest. In other words they are their lives are lived out in a way that other people respect who they are as people and they're honest. They're true to their word. They do what they say they're going to do. They're to be temperate, which means self-controlled. That's pretty easy. That's a, that's a pretty easy one for us to understand. It's a hard one for us to live out. We need to control what we do. We don't just fly off and get angry and say things we shouldn't say. Older men are to be self-controlled. Sound and faith. The word sound there means robust and healthy. Older men, you are to be strong and healthy in your faith. You're not to be tossed around by all the different things that come down the pipe. You should know what you believe and you should be strong in what you believe. And it shouldn't be just what you believe. It should be what God believes Because you've learned to know who He is, and so because you've learned to know who He is, you know what He says. That's what it means to be sound in faith. In charity, this is the agape word, which means brotherly love or dear love. But God demonstrates this through the sacrifice of His Son. And so what this means for you older men, and for me, is that you are to be self-sacrificing in your love. And in patience, cheerful endurance. We're to be men of cheerful endurance. So, just something for you to think about. In the New Testament, ordination of church leaders was focused on the elders. It was focused on older men. It wasn't particularly focused on younger men. There were some younger men who were church leaders, like Timothy. I don't know what Timothy's age was exactly, but when they were going to ordain, they usually said ordain elders in every church. And that had more the idea of the older men, the fathers in the congregation. And it gave the the New Testament criteria that it gives for for church leadership is largely based on a pattern of living that is honorable and has been established in the church in a way that people know who they're choosing to be the leaders because they've seen the pattern of their life. And so then ordination actually becomes a recognition of what they're already doing. So you're choosing men not because they're going to become something else, but you're choosing men because they are already being this. So we teach from the ground up that men are to take leadership responsibilities and to develop those responsibilities through life. So how many of you young men know that? Who's the youngest, who's the youngest man that knows that knew previous to this sermon that he was he should he was a he was a young man, and because he's a young man that he should take leadership responsibility or that he was going to need to take leadership responsibility. Who's, who's the youngest young man that knows that? At this point, Trevlin's the youngest young man that knows that. Dirk, you wouldn't say that you knew that because you were a man, you were going to, need to take a leadership role someday. Probably not very convinced. <laughs> okay, let's go with let's go with eighteen. So older men, if you've grown up in this in a, in a setting of, um, I, I would definitely say that. From the time I was 18, I I would have known that, that men should be leaders. If you've grown up in a biblical church setting, since the time you were 18 approximately, you have known that you should be a leader. How many of you men have been taught that you should be a leader? Okay. So that means that for 24 years, I've known that I should take leadership responsibility. So what have I done with that? What have I done with that knowledge? Have I pursued the knowledge that this was something that God wanted me to do? Our churches ought to be full of men who are right, ready, and capable to step into church leadership positions. They ought to be. Are they? you brothers that are my age and older, close to my age and older, I want to challenge you with some things. As a leader in the kingdom of God, God has called you to be a servant, a servant shepherd leader. And that is the mechanism. You are the mechanism for the Christian church to move forward by you as faithful men teaching other faithful men to also be leaders. Your development of shepherd sheep relationships will dictate the future of the church. If you are to be a shepherd, and you're going to also have to have the same shepherd sheep relationship that I talked about the last time I preached three weeks ago. You're going to have to develop those relationships And the the level to which you develop those relationships will be the level to which the church is able to move victoriously into the future. That's the mechanism that God has given. You have a physical family and you have a spiritual family. You are to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Not push, not drive, not beat. Bring them up. Draw them by your vibrancy by your self-sacrificing love. Teach me the slow of heart to move by some winning word of love. Do you teach Sunday school? Great. But what I'm talking about goes way beyond that. It's about the fact that you care enough about the kingdom of God and you care enough about your brother's in your your church, that you're willing to invest into their lives in a significant way. And you're willing to invest enough that they can see your love for them. And they can be won by that word of love. They can be won to follow your example of godly faithfulness. It's about a willingness to ask them about how they're doing spiritually. It's about a willingness to initiate those conversations and to seek out the things that they're struggling with to point them to answers in God's word. You see, the challenges in our churches are not a youth problem. They're a father problem. And it grieves my heart to say that. But it's the truth and we need to face the truth for what it is. It's the result of middle-aged and older men who have failed to fully give their lives in their, to their families and to the church. It's a result of too many middle-aged and older men who have not shown that the church is worth living for and worth dying for. It's a result of too many middle-aged and older men who have not been willing to teach, to truly teach in the real sense of the word. Sunday school, we need to teach Sunday school. But we're talking about the kind of teaching that touches the heart of the person being taught. We're talking about making a disciple and walking closely with God. How did the early Anabaptists How did early Anabaptism survive when its leaders were jailed and killed as fast as they ordained them? Because they had more men who were showing this example in their lives and they moved them into leadership. And then they were arrested and then more men were coming up through. It was because of the vibrancy of the lives of the people in the congregations is why the Anabaptist church survived. Because of the power of God working in the lives of men. All right, we're going to do young men's roles yet. 2 Timothy 3, verses 7 to 17. Ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now as jannies and Jambres withstood Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith. But they shall proceed no further their filing shall be manifest unto all men, as theirs also was. But thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me at at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured. But out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yea, and all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. But evil men and seducers will wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived but continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which were able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine and reproof, for correction and for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. That the man of God may be Perfect, thoroughly furnished into all good works. Now this applies to younger and older men. But we can be thoroughly furnished into all good works through the Word of God. Verse 7, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. There's a lot of information out there that you can latch on to, and you can get a lot of answers to pretty much any question. You can get the answer you want to any question you have. But you will be ever learning and never coming to the knowledge of the truth if that's what you're looking for. Verse 8 is used as an example, and that example is two men who opposed God-ordained authority. So I want to challenge you young men that you think carefully about how you relate to God-ordained authority. Because if you want to come to the knowledge of the truth, there's something that's going to have to be key, a key part of your life. And we're going to get into that here in just a little bit. Verse 10. Paul says to Timothy, he says, Thou hast fully known my doctrine. Do you have men that you fully know their doctrine, that you know exactly what they teach, that you know their manner of life? Okay, so now we're not only that you do, you know their doctrine, but you also know the things that they teach and the way they live them out. Paul was not calling Timothy to a random example. Paul was calling Timothy to an example that he knew personally. Thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith. We're getting down into the spiritual aspects of Paul. And Paul was saying, Timothy, you know me from the inside out. And this is the kind of example I want you to follow. Verse 14. Oh, not only did he know that, but he also knew, Timothy also knew the persecutions and afflictions, the difficulties that Paul faced and how Paul handled those difficulties. Young men, you're going to face difficult things in life. How are you going to handle them? Verse 14. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. Are you learning from sources that are sources that represent godliness in your life? And that as opposed to ever learning and never coming to knowledge of the truth. You're only going to really learn to know truth when you can see it lived out. And you need to see it lived out in the lives of people around you and primarily in your church family because that's where you are for your spiritual nourishment, your spiritual life. And that from a child that has known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus... And the Scriptures. And so you're not just following a man. You're not just following men. You're actually following the Scripture. And you're looking to older men who are also following the Scripture. You can see the fruit of righteousness in their lives. And you're comparing that to the Word of God. And so you're living out a faithful life because of that. And as a result of all those things combined... The man of God is perfectly thir- perfect, may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Turn back to Titus two. Six through eight. Young men likewise exhort to be sober-minded, in all things showing thyself a pattern of good works, in doctrine showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity, sound speech that cannot be condemned that he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say of you. So several things here that the young men are told to be, to be sober-minded. And that means to be in your right mind, to see things the right way. That you're connected with reality. So... To see things in the right way, we kind of all think we do see things in the right way. But are we really connected with the way reality is? Are we connected with the truth about life? And it also means to be self-controlled. So to have a right view of life and to be self-controlled, you're to be a pattern of good works. Forming your life to be of Excellent in nature, that the things that you do are by nature excellent. So when someone looks at your life, they say that man's life is excellent. And they don't just say it's excellent because you're putting something on the outside. It's excellent because you have formed a pattern of thinking and meditating and pondering and engaging with life in a way that it is from the inside out a pattern of good works. There's something very important in this idea of pattern. And I think it's especially important for young men because we have a lot of, young men have a lot of vision, they have a lot of ability to see a lot of things out in the world that would be good to do or fun to do. They're not like me and they haven't crossed their midlife crisis. But the idea is, the the reality is that you need to set patterns in your life. Patterns that are directional. And no, it won't end up taking you everywhere you'd like to go. But it'll take you a place that you want to go. And so this establishment of patterns is very important in the life of young men. Establish healthy, godly patterns. Uncorrupt doctrine. Doctrine showing uncorruptness. And that has to do with both learning and teaching. It's to be sound. It's to be right. It's to be correct. So young men, make sure that your doctrine, your teaching is correct. Both in what you teach and in what you are learning. Gravity here means respectability. It's a little bit different word than the other word for grave older men. But it means respectability. Be someone respectful both respectful to others and someone who is respectable, who can be respected by others. Sincerity, genuineness, that means the same within and without. What you're saying and what you're doing, sound sound speech, pretty easy, the things that you say, people should not be able to say, he lives one way and he talks another, or the other way around. Talks one way and he lives the other. We're talking about roles in the church. Young men, I wish all of our young men were here this morning for this. Maybe I'll ask them to listen to this message for this. I wonder sometimes if you have any idea how much of a role you have in setting precedent in the church. Your attitudes toward expected norms your willingness to engage in teaching, your willingness to engage in, resp- engage in responsibility, those things affect the church dramatically. Your church attendance, the priority you give to the things of God, those things set precedences in your peer circles and they affect the church. What pattern are you showing? What is the pattern of your life? Is it a pattern that demonstrates that God is the most valuable thing to me? And if, you, if God is not the, if you're, the pattern of your life is not showing that God is the most valuable thing to me, and this is for older men too, then your life is not a godly life. One more thing to young men. I didn't write this reference down. I probably should have it. I think I know generally where it's at. No, maybe not. Oh, I'm looking at verse chapter 3. Here we go. I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. I write unto you, fathers, because you have known him that was from the beginning. I write unto you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. I write unto you, little children, because you have known the father. I have written unto you fathers because you have known him that was from the beginning. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abideth in you, and you have overcome the wicked one. Young men, you have overcome the wicked one. Praise the Lord. You are strong, and the word of God abideth in you. We need your strength. The church needs the strength of our young men strength for the battle it needs the strength of our older men too it needs the strength of their wisdom as well so may we be men of god in our generation today shall we have a song